0: At sacks.com.
1: Feel like who art ed. We'll to who arted? We'll Mr. Wood <laughs> art ed me. Yeah. Either way, it can <laughs> it I, love. I
0: know. I thought it's a great
1: start. Welcome to Who Arted Weekly Art History for All Ages. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and today we're looking at the work of Hans Holbein the Younger. Hans Holbein the Younger was born to an artistic family in Augsburg, Germany during the Renaissance. He was most likely born around 1497. I have to say he was born around that time because not a lot of his early life is documented. The best clue we have as to when he was born came from an artwork over a decade later. In 1511, his father drew a picture of Hans and his brother Ambrosius, and it states that Hans was 14 years old at the time. As I said, the family was artistic, and not only was Hans's father, Hans Holbein the Older, an artist, so was Hans's older brother Ambrosius, and his uncle Sigismund Holbein. With art as the family trade, Hans the Younger, was most likely trained by his father. We're not sure exactly when he moved from Augsburg, but in 1515, Hans Holbein the Younger had made his way to Basel, Switzerland. In Basel, Hans and Ambrosius learned from Hans Herbster, the leading painter in Basel, and they found work making designs for woodcut and metalcut prints. One of Holbein's best-known works from this period is the ink drawings he was invited to create in the margins of the book, The Praise of Folly. The book was a satire criticizing various traditions, superstitions, and the church. It was immensely popular, printed in multiple editions and translated into French, German, Czech, and English. It's among the most notable works of the Renaissance period and the early days of the Protestant Reformation. In 1517, Hans Holbein the Younger went to Lucerne, where he worked with his father creating murals for a merchant. As I said, there aren't tons of records from this period, but we do know that on December 10th, 1517, he was fined for fighting in the street with a goldsmith named Casper. Now, because there's not a ton of documentation from this period other than those kinds of official sort of government documents, court records, that kind of stuff, we don't have documentation of trips to Italy, but it is widely believed that Holbein did make a trip to Italy that winter to study under the great fresco artist Andrea Mantegna, because he filled two panels in his client's house with copies of Mantegna's works. One thing we do have documentation of, though, is that on September 25th, 1519, he was in Basel and he became a master in the Painters Guild. He was rather successful, actually very quickly, receiving municipal and private commissions for portraits, religious scenes, and altarpieces. As the Reformation took hold in Basel, it became a bit more difficult to earn a living as an artist. The church had been a major patron of the arts for a long time. In 1526, Holbein went to England in the hopes of finding more work. Sir Thomas More introduced Holbein around, and he worked primarily as a portraitist painting various intellectuals in More's social circle. In the 1530s, Holbein, and for clarity, basically for the duration of this episode, when I say Holbein, I'm talking about Hans Holbein the Younger. He began working for Henry VIII, so I think it's fair to say his talents were appreciated in England. Although there was one famous instance where being Henry's royal portrait artist had to be rather uncomfortable. In 1539, Henry VIII was preparing to marry Anne of Cleves. She was to be his fourth wife, but the two had not met, so Henry sent Holbein to paint her picture. He instructed Holbein to not be flattering, but to paint an accurate representation of the prospective bride. Then, when Henry finally met Anne in person, he is said to have complained that she was nowhere near as good-looking as her picture. Charming. I guess to make it even worse, he'd also made Holbein paint a picture of her younger sister, because... In Henry's mind, the two of them were interchangeable as prospective brides. I have to imagine it must have been really uncomfortable for Holbein to be essentially accused of catfishing the king, but all in all, it worked out well enough. Henry and Anne went through with the marriage, but then divorced, and she was allowed to live, which is better than some of the other former wives of Henry VIII, and she was also given some property and a generous payment. While he appears to have been a terrible husband, it seems like he wasn't such a bad ex-husband. The two became friends, and he decreed that she have precedence over all women except for his current wife and daughters. While the royal portrait commissions were obviously prestigious, today I think Holbein is best known for his painting the Ambassadors from 1533. So after a quick break, we're going to focus on that painting.
0: This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a one per month trial period at shopify.com/specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com/specialoffer.
1: Now today we're looking at the ambassadors from 1533 painted by Hans Holbein the Younger. The Ambassadors is a life-sized double portrait filled with curious details, various symbolic objects for us to unpack. Now, first of all, let's look at the subjects. In this painting, we see two men standing on either side of a table strewn with objects like a globe, a lute, a hymn book, various celestial maps and instruments. The two men are ambassadors. The man on the left is Jean de Dinville. He was the visiting ambassador from France. Now, Dinville was actually very unhappy to have had to extend his stay in England, but King Francis I of France had made him stay to see Henry VIII's wedding and the birth of Henry's daughter, Elizabeth. Francis was her godfather. While Dinville was unhappy staying longer in England, he was happy to have his friend join him, and in this double portrait, Holbein portrays the men together, but with a table between them as a reminder that there was some distance. The table also served to hold a variety of tools and objects that portray the men as wealthy, erudite, and pious. King Francis I of France was a devout Catholic, and he was worried about religious upheaval. The 16th century saw the Protestant Reformation causing a giant schism among Christians throughout Europe, but the year this portrait was painted was also the year that Henry VIII, King of England, decided to break with the Roman Catholic Church when the Pope refused to annul his marriage to Catherine of Aragon. Henry wanted the annulment so that he could remarry in the hopes of producing a male heir. When the Pope wouldn't grant the annulment, Henry broke with the Catholic Church, forming the Church of England with himself as the head. I guess when you're the head of your own church, you probably can safely get whatever annulment or divorce you want. Jean de Dintville was tasked with monitoring the situation and reporting back to King Francis I, as he was very worried about the religious and political ties that seemed to be fraying around Europe. Emphasizing the importance of this concern over the intersection of religion and international diplomacy, the figure on the left, as I said, is the ambassador to France. The man on the right is Georges de Selve, the bishop of Lavore, France. Based on the flooring, it would appear the two men are standing in the sanctuary at Westminster Abbey, where Anne Boleyn was crowned as she became Henry VIII's second wife. Now, if I'm going to be honest, the composition feels a bit clunky. It's very obviously staged with everything carefully arranged and included for symbolic reasons. We see the globe next to the ambassador and its turned so that we can see his home country of France. The table is covered in a carpet. Um, Today, some actually refer to this as a Holbein carpet because Hans Holbein loved to include these intricately detailed patterned carpets in his works. Much like the clothing, it showcased not only the subject's wealth, it also provided an opportunity for Holbein to show off his technical skills capturing the lush furs, the smooth satin sheen on the clothing, and the intricate patterns in the carpet. In prepping for this episode, I was actually surprised to learn that the carpet was pointed out as an area where Holbein may have been taking some shortcuts. The lecturer from the National Gallery explained that some areas in this painting hint that Holbein may have been working quickly as he was economical with his brush strokes. She pointed out that the off-white areas within the carpet are really simply the ground showing through. That is to say, the panel would have been primed before painting, and in some areas, rather than painting it white, he just let the primer act as the pigment. Of course, that wasn't the main point of the carpet. The carpet elevates the status of the men, showing off their wealth, their power, and their prestige. And yes, people did drape their carpets over a table or hang it on the wall, rather than walk on it, because... These were super expensive, luxury items. The carpet was also a symbol of the Ottoman Empire, and many in Europe viewed the Ottoman Empire as a threat, but Francis I was working to build a connection with the Ottoman ruler. As we look down at the objects, one of the biggest objects on the table is a lute, a guitar-like musical instrument. A very subtle detail one might not notice easily is that one of the strings on the lute is broken. Holbein was a man of small details. He was so detailed, in fact, the open hymn book in front of the lute can actually be read. He didn't just make lines indicating musical notes. He actually put in real sheet music for a specific hymn written by none other than Martin Luther. THE Martin Luther, who also wrote 95 Theses and sparked the Protestant Reformation. The other book on the lower portion of the table is a mathematics book, with a marker at the section on division. The juxtaposition, or side-by-side placement, of the hymn and the lute with the broken string, as well as that math book on division, would seem to be an indication of the religious discord and perhaps on some level suggesting that Luther may be to blame. If we're looking at tiny, subtle details, I think it's also worth noting the skulls. I'll get to the big one in a bit, but first I want to point out a little one that people often miss. On Jean de Dinville's hat, there's a tiny button with a skull on it. Skulls are, of course, a classic symbol in art. The memento mori is a reminder that life is fleeting. While the ambassadors are dressed in their finery with almost everything screaming that these men in their mid to late 20s are oozing wealth and privilege, they're humbled with the knowledge it will all pass, and they too will pass one day. Which, of course, leads me to the most famous element of this composition. The Skull Hidden in Plain Sight. When standing in front of this painting, there's an odd elongated shape that seems to cut across the floor. It feels entirely out of place, an abstraction in no way grounded or tied in with everything else in the piece. And yet, when viewed from the extreme right side, a skull suddenly snaps into focus. This is what we call an anamorphic design. An anamorphic design is a distorted projection that creates an illusion of a 3D form on a 2D surface, but it requires the viewer to see it from a specific location, or sometimes using a mirror. These tricks of perspective began in the early Renaissance, like the early 15th century. A mirrored anamorphosis began around 100 years later. The most common mirrored anamorphic images I've seen would involve distorted drawings that look 3D when you put a cylindrical mirror on the paper and look at the drawing reflected in the curved surface. In the Ambassadors, we see an anamorphic design playing with perspective, meaning we don't need any special device, we simply need to look at it from the right angle. Now, if I'm being honest, a lot of anamorphic designs feel like a cheap gimmick, but I think this one stands out because it's thoughtfully applied. The skull has long appeared in artworks as a symbol of mortality and a reminder of the ephemeral nature of all things, including life itself. As the viewer shifts from the typical frontal view of this painting to the side view, The men, the table, the objects, and all those luxurious clothes and carpets fade away, leaving us with just the skull. In The Ambassadors, Holbein presents the symbol of mortality as the specter that looms, ever-present, though sometimes difficult to make sense of. It can feel like an odd intrusion disrupting a picture carefully and beautifully constructed. But if we shift our view a little... We can see that nothing lasts forever. Life and the world are constantly changing, but there can be a beauty in that too, if we can bring ourselves to look at it from just the right perspective.